do I owe someone forgiveness? Because that forgiveness thing is a two-way street, Doug. And I, too often I forget that. My ego and all kinds of stuff gets in the way. And I want to be forgiven for all the things I've done. But am I prepared to give it out 100% of the time to everybody else, especially when they don't ask for it? And the reason why forgiveness is so important, because the opposite of forgiveness is a resentment. And a resentment, a resentment can hold you back in life so incredibly completely that, that you can't, you're, you're stuck, you're paralyzed in this resentment because you bottle up all this, this hate inside you. And, and hate, Doug, corrodes the containers contained in, right? It, it, you bottle up that hate inside you, that resentment for another person, another place, a thing, an institution. I'm Doug Bobst personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is extremely special because not only is he a good friend of mine, he is actually somebody who the prison system saved his life as well. And I'm here with my man, Damon West, um, who is the best-selling author of the book, The Coffee Bean, which you know many of you probably know he wrote with John Gordon, um, and also the author of The Change Agent. And uh, Damon was sentenced to 65 years in a Texas prison and at the age of 20, he was a Division I starting quarterback at the University of North Texas. When he suffered a career-ending injury, he ended up turning to hardcore drugs to cope with the disappointments in life. After graduation, he held several jobs, including working for the United States Congress um, and also UBS. And um, you know, one day at UBS, he was introduced to methamphetamines. He became instantly hooked, and the lives of so many innocent people will be forever changed by the choices he made in order to feed his insatiable meth habit. After a faithful discussion, during his incarceration with a seasoned convict, Damon had a spiritual awakening. He learned that like a coffee bean changing with the application of heat and pressure, he was capable of changing the environment around him. Armed with a program of recovery, a renewed faith, and a miraculous second chance at life, Damon emerged from over seven years of prison a changed man. His story of redemption, grit, and determination continues to inspire audiences today. Damon, thanks for hopping on, man. Doug, man, thanks for having me today, brother, man. Any chance to be useful, man? What's, what's going on? You know, it's funny, man. Like, we're in this interesting time. We're in this quarantine, and I've had the good fortune of um, getting to know you over the last few years and getting pretty knowledgeable and in-depth about your story. Um, you know, walk me through, because, I mean, listeners are going to be fascinated when they hear this, that how you went from being facing and serving, you know, like life sentence in a maximum security prison um, in Texas to now being one of the most highly sought after motivational speakers, best-selling author, um, you know, you're now married, you got your, your stepdad, like you have a family. So like, how did this all, how did this all happen? You know, Doug, I, there's a lot of things in life that I call God things, things that I can't explain, things that are just, I mean, like, you know, like getting out of prison on my first parole with a life sentence, you know, I had, did seven years and three months, and the parole board decides to let me go. People ask me all the time, how'd you do it? You know, how'd you get out? I mean, the, the easy answer is that I did everything I was supposed to do. I was a model inmate. I followed all the rules, uh, checked off all the boxes of what you're supposed to do. You know, you accept responsibility for your crimes. You reform, you rehabilitate. 
but the the real answer is God, man. God's opened a lot of doors for me. And and I got into a program of recovery when I was in prison, Doug. And that program of recovery has given me tools with which to live my life by. Uh, and, you know, aside from the program of recovery, and my program of recovery, I might add, is, is the most important thing in my life. I, I tell people all the time, anything I put in front of my recovery, I will lose. So my recovery has to come first with everything I do. And it has ever since prison. But I had a chance encounter with this other inmate in the Dallas County Jail when I was getting ready to go to prison. And uh, this guy shared with me a story, an allegory, if you will, about how to approach life, and especially this life of going into the Texas Department of Criminal Justice with a life sentence for organized crime. And so he told me to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, you know, I want to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change, a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And so first things first, he said, he said, if I put a carrot into that pot of boiling water that we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And his name is Mr. Jackson. Well, Mr. Jackson, the carrot turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into prison hard, but the water, prison, changes the carrot, turns him soft. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He got raped. Man, he may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot in prison. He said, what about the egg? I said, well, the egg turns hard like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg has a shell that protects him physically. He said, but inside that soft liquid core, his heart, becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you would become institutionalized and you will not come back if someone your parents recognize because your eggshell has swastikas tattooed all over it. And he said, what about that coffee bean? And you know, Doug, I really didn't know. I didn't have a clue what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of warm water. And he said, if I put a coffee bean to that pot of warm water we call prison, he said, now you got to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said that coffee bean the smallest of these three things had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, everybody in life puts that energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. It's called the law of attraction. He said, so if you want to walk around prison with a mean mug on your face and a scowl all the time, he said, what you're going to actually do is attract that same kind of negative inmate. He said, in the life's in this building where you're going, it can be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor. He said, but Wes, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting you, no matter what they do, they're not getting you. He said, you will change that prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about this is the other positive inmates, the other coffee beans will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got on that prison bus in August of 2009 to be shipped off to serve that life sentence, he said, Wes, go out there and become that, go out there and go be that coffee bean. And, you know, Doug, I took that with me, but that alone wasn't going to be enough to, to turn my life around. You know, prison was still going to be um, the hardest thing I ever went through because, I mean, I, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I've never been to prison before. What do I know about doing time? And there's people that we learn in, in the program of recovery that, that God puts in your path along the way. And when I talk about God, Doug, I don't want your listeners to think I'm trying to, to preach some kind of religious philosophy to them. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what you believe. And you, you can believe or not believe anything you want. And whatever works for you is great for you. So when I talk about God, I'm just talking about my higher power, what I believe. But I believe that, you know, God is going to put people in your path. You know, he may not... <clears throat> I don't believe that God's really in the business of going around and just tapping you on the head and curing you. I think he puts people in your path along the way. There's another guy that I met when I got to prison. He was my first cellmate 
this guy's name is Carlos. And if you read my book, The Change Agent, uh, my autobiography, you'll know that Carlos played a significant role in my life. He actually saved my life in prison, literally saved my life when he gave me a, a fan motor to kill this guy with in the shower one day that was coming to rape. Now, I never, never ended up killing that guy in the shower. I beat him senseless in the shower that day. But Carlos also helped me out with something else. He was my cellmate. So when I was in prison and I was trying to get my bearings, uh, he would stay up with me at night and talk to me. We, 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 he would share with me philosophy that he had. He, he was a little uh, bank robber from San Antonio. He'd been, been in prison about six or seven years at that point. Uh, a little Hispanic guy, maybe about five foot two. But uh, he was a really knowledgeable guy. This guy was very knowledgeable, very spiritually tapped into the world. And so he told me one day, he said, the first rule about, about doing time is you have to do your time and not let your time do you. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very important lesson that I picked up. And, and I asked him what that means. And he says, what that, what that means is that, it, is that you have to fill your day up with things that you've deemed to be important. Otherwise, your day is going to get filled up anyway, but it may not be with the best things for you because life is going to fill your day up whether or not you fill it up or circumstances around you fill it up. And it's something I tell people during the coronavirus pandemic right now that are at home, you know, find things to fill your day up with. Don't, don't just sit back and wait for things to happen. You know, go out there and proactively pursue things. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself stuck on social media. You're going to be watching the news all the time. You'll be stuck in front of that. Right now, what you have is a giant pot of warm water. This life, this thing we call life. The whole world's in this pot of boiling water right now, Doug. But each of us has a choice of how we're going to respond to that boiling water. I mean, will you be like the carrot that turns soft and weak and sad or the, or the egg that turns hard and mad and mean? Or you will, will you be like that coffee bean that changes that pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee? And I can tell you with absolute certainty and with authority that if you're going to attack this as the coffee bean, that you've got to start each day with gratitude for this being an opportunity. There are opportunities inside of every crisis. There's an opportunity. And this may be your opportunity to grow and shine spiritually, mentally, or physically in different ways. Gosh, man, so true. And the way you describe that is, God, it's so needed, especially right now. Because, you know, you're right. We do have a choice in how we respond to these situations. We do have, and for me, as you know, I mean, I was locked up too not seven years locked up, but locked up for a long enough time where I got the message that, you know, that is a pot of boiling water and it's how you choose to respond to it that counts. How are you moving forward with your life? Your past doesn't define you only, it, it, can, it, can, it can invigorate you to change and get better or it can drain you to be your worst, your worst enemy. So what I want to talk about, you know, from stemming from that is right now we have a choice. Right. So right now we're in this we're in this pandemic, similar to the pot of boiling water that you face when you're incarcerated. And you, you mentioned to me earlier that there's a lot of people that are in mental prison. Like, what are you seeing right now um, with that? Like, what is mental what is mental prison like look like to you? Mental prison. You know, this is the worst form of prison, Doug. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I see more people out here that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison. More people are imprisoned by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. You can take that to the bank. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I say this from, uh, again, from a position of authority. You know, I served a life sentence on a maximum security penitentiary in the state of Texas, one of the hardest places to do time, the Mark Stiles unit. Today, I go around speaking all over the country and I try to dip into prisons all over the country, wherever I am, 
So I've been in a lot of prisons all over the place. And, and I, I'm also a college professor now, Doug. I, I teach a class at the University of Houston downtown. I went back and got my master's after prison. And now I teach a university level class at the University of Houston downtown. And my class is called Prisons in America. So I know a lot about prisons and I know a lot about different forms of prison. And the prison of your mind is the worst one to be in. Of all the prisons that there are in the world, a physical prison is probably the easiest one to do time. It's when you're trapped and locked up spiritually or mentally that you're really in danger because, you know, the parole board doesn't meet often inside your head or inside your heart. That's a dangerous place to be locked up because that means you've given up. You've abdicated one of the only four things you control in life. And those four things are what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. And if you give up one of these things, if you voluntarily give that up, then you voluntarily lock yourself up. And when you lock yourself up, man, that's when the negativity sets in. That's when the darkness comes in. I read a lot of books in prison, Doug. There was a book I came across. A guy named Viktor Frankl wrote it. Viktor Frankl was locked up in Auschwitz. He was in a concentration camp. And the book is called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. And Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about what's called the existential vacuum. You know, the existential vacuum is this giant hole, this void in life where everything of meaning was wrapped up in. Your existence was wrapped up in this hole. And what happens in a situation like this when you have this pandemic going on is people start losing things. And, and, and I can tell you, Doug, just like I mean, you're a trainer, you're a speaker. You know, you're not out training anybody right now. You're not on the speaking circuit. I'm not on the speaking circuit. I'm not out doing book signings for sure. So. I've lost stuff too. I've lost my job at this point. I don't know when it's going to come back, but I do know that I didn't wrap up my existence in my job or my home or my car. And it's very possible throughout all this that some of the people listening to this, you're going to have to downsize your home. You know, you may have to go from a home to an apartment. You may have to go from two cars in your family to one car or, or sell your one car that you have and go down to a, a cheaper used car. You may have to make some painful choices in life but if your existence is not wrapped up in those things that can be taken away from you, then you're going to be okay. Today, I wrap up my existence. When I get to that fork in the road and I've got a choice to make and there's that giant void in front of me, this abyss of, of, of existence, this existential vacuum, I don't fall into it anymore because I didn't put my, my value, my worth, my basis of being in my home or my car or my job or any of those other things. I put it really into three things. And these three things can never be taken away from me, Doug, whether it's, you know, an economic downturn, uh, a pandemic that affects the world and we go into a global depression, or if, if it's prison, because I found out in prison, these three things could not be taken from me. And the first thing is my faith. You know, I have my faith and you can have yours too, whatever you believe in. I said before, my faith can never be taken from me. My faith is my, my personal relationship with my God. Uh, the other thing that can't be taken away from me is my relationships, the important relationships in life. These are the best things you have going. They're the most important things you, you get along the way in life. And, you know, my faith, my relationships. And the third thing is my ability to serve other people, my ability to be a servant leader, my ability to go out and, and find ways to help other people out. You can't take those three things away from me, Doug. I don't care what you do. You can beat me down and I get back up and you beat me down again, but you'll never take from me my faith, my relationships and my ability to serve. So it's amazing. And I think you, you, you touched on a good point that we, as people and human beings, we put so much of our, um, our thoughts and our 
emotions and our actions into these superficial things that now are being ripped from us in many ways. So you talked a lot about um, the things you can control, like your thoughts, your actions, um, the way you treat other people and like kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. So what's like your recipe look like for success um, these days with that? Like I know you talk about being a coffee bean and how that works. Um, but Doug, where, did I, where did I lose you at there, Doug? Um, we lost me at, uh, hold on, let me just pause this. Real- yeah, it's so true. And I think you're right. Like those things can't be taken from you. your faith. Like I, I have faith in God as well. Like, you know, your relationships, like who you surround yourself with and, you know, the servant leadership, like giving back, being of service, helping other people like you and I are doing right now. So when it comes to times like this and times of adversity, three, three of the things that I think matter most are my faith. Like, what am I believing? What, what thoughts am I telling myself? What am I believing is going to happen in the future? Am I living in fear, faith, who I'm surrounding myself with? Because, you know, you got to surround yourself with people that challenge you to be your best self unconditionally and then fitness, staying mentally, physically, and spiritually fit. So what is your like recipe for success look like on a day-to-day basis? Are you mindful of who you surround yourself with? Do you, I mean, I know you're a big advocate of exercising. Like, what does that look like for you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So, here's what I tell people too right now, especially. So do your time. Don't let your time do you means that you have to come up with a routine. This is what Carlos told me in prison. You find a routine, you stick to that routine. Consistency is the key to this routine. You know, consistency, continuity. You do this every single day, you know, try to do it at the same time. So what I tell people right now with what's going on is you've got to attack this like this is an opportunity for you. You're going to work every day. So what that means by going to work, you're getting up at the same time you got up before all this stuff happened. Man, This is not a vacation. You're not sleeping in. You're getting up, and it's time to go to work. And the first thing you do is, is, is what I did when I was in prison. I would, I would say out loud, thank you for this opportunity. And that's crazy to think about, Doug. I'm in a maximum security penitentiary in Texas. And I'm saying, hey, thank you for this opportunity. But it was. I, I had to change the way I believe. Because we have to change the way we think and the way we believe if we want to change the way we act. All action is born of thought. And so the first thought of my day has to be from a position of gratitude for the situation that I'm in, whether it is in prison or it is in a pandemic. I'm grateful for this opportunity today. I got another bite of the apple of life and another chance to improve upon myself as a human being. And so that's my first thought of the day. Then I jump into prayer and meditation. And and prayer, I always say, is when you talk to your God, meditation is when you listen. So, you know, you do a little bit of that to start your day off. And then I'm getting ready, man. I'm getting up and I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting dressed. I'm fixing my hair. You just caught me after a workout. So, um, I'm not, I'm not dressed right now, but I get up, I, I get dressed and I, and I start my day. Now, now my day just means that I'm going from my bedroom, to 25 steps to my dining room where I get on a lot of zoom calls and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm getting my breakfast started. I'm, my day is habitually just like it was before. I'm having my coffee. I'm doing a gratitude journal where I write down three things I'm grateful for every day. Now, today, I've got a little bit more time on my hands. So what I do is I, I start reading. I haven't been reading a lot in the past year because I've been so busy, right? So life has taken off for me in a lot of good ways, but there's been some things I've neglected. So I read every morning. And after I get done reading, then I get started with my day. And my day consists of a bunch of service work because I have found that when I bury myself, when I pour myself into others, then I don't think about my problems and my problems become less severe 
when I'm helping other people out. And that's the, that's why servant leadership and service work is so important because the thing about the secret to life being servant leadership, servant leadership allows us to be humble and humility. Humility, Doug, is being right size and being right size is knowing your place in the world. And my place in the world right now is to go out there and try to help people out as much as I can. And I encourage people all the time, your day, when you have this big gap of time in your day, find ways to serve other people. And, and it may consist of just getting on the phone and calling somebody, asking them how they're doing. And don't tell them about your day unless they ask. Allow them to, to vent to you, to talk to you, to speak to you, because people want to be heard. That's one of the things in life. Everybody wants to feel like they've been hurt, like somebody has heard them. So be that ear today for somebody. That's huge service work to go out and do that. I encourage people all the time to get out your social media like you do, Doug, like I do, and put positivity out there. Cut videos of you doing positive stuff or saying positive things. And don't worry about how many views you get. Oh, I just got 11 views or 15 views. You're looking for that one view out there. Because that one view, maybe that one person, you impacted out there. And let me tell you something. No one person, no one speaker or author or anybody can reach everybody. No one person can reach everybody, but everybody can reach one person. Look no further than Mr. Rogers. Now, Doug, you're a little bit younger than I am. I don't know if you remember this Mr. Rogers Oh, guy. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Rogers was big when I was a kid. You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. But Mr. Rogers, before he was Mr. Rogers, was a Presbyterian minister. I mean, this guy was, you know, he was in the church. And so he was at a sermon one day. I think the year was 1963. He was in seminary. And he was listening to the substitute preacher come in. And the substitute preacher gave a sermon one Sunday. Mr. Rogers sat through the sermon. And at the end of the sermon, Mr. Rogers thought to himself, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. The most awful terrible sermon. I've ever heard. Doug, he said it went against every rule of giving a sermon. He said it was awful. It was painful to sit through. And just as he was about to turn to the woman next to him and, and, and tell her how awful it was, he bit his tongue. He stopped because the woman next to him was in tears. She was in tears and she turned to Mr. Rogers and said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. It was the absolute right thing I needed to hear at the absolute right time. I will never forget where I was today when I heard that sermon. Mr. Rogers realized right then and there that anybody can be a messenger of peace, of hope, of love, of serenity, you know, that anybody can do that. There's no, there's no prescription for that. Anybody can fill that role. But he also learned another very important lesson that day. He learned that he was coming in judgment while she was coming in need. Mm. So many people are coming in need out there right now, Doug. And it is, it is incumbent upon us to, to find that need, find that pain and fill that need with positive, good things. You know, people generally want to be led. And in the absence of good leadership, people will follow a bad leader. It's like a thirsty man in the desert. If he sees a mirage and he's thirsty enough, that man will drink the sand and the sand will kill him. And that's just the, th the same way it is with, with following the wrong leader. People follow the wrong, wrong leader right off of a cliff. And, and that's a dangerous thing to have a vacuum of good leadership and, a good, and good positive messages. In the absence of positivity, negativity will fill the void. So spend your days doing as much service work as possible. It helps other people and it gets you out of your problems. And then I tell people, now that we've spiritually worked out, you've mentally worked out, Man, let's get that physical workout in. You know that, that diet that you always wanted to do or, the, or that workout you wanted to start, but you were too busy? Guess what? Now you're in your home. You control your diet. Now you're in your kitchen. 
You can make your meals. No more fast food, no more cafeteria food, no more vending machines. Now we make the best meals possible. We have healthy choices. Now we go out and we get exercise. And it may just start with you walking 10 minutes a day. You know, that may be, that may be where you need to start. But do something every day. Stay kinetic, stay moving, and, and get enough rest. You know, get enough rest. Take care of your body because your body, your body's your tip. And if, you, if your body, if you don't take care of your body, then, then you'll never be able to give anybody anything of you because you can't give what you don't have. So spiritually, mentally, and physically get in shape. And at the end of each day, Doug, I wrap it up with another spiritual workout. And that's when I'm, I'm talking to my God. And this time I'm having a conversation and I'm asking questions like, hey, how was I today? Was I a good person today? What did I do to put back in the stream of life? You know, did I help other people out? Do I owe someone an apology? And the big question why I need to have a conversation, a spiritual conversation, a spiritual workout at the end of the day, is I've got to ask this one question. Do I owe someone forgiveness? Because that forgiveness thing is a two-way street, Doug. And I, too often I forget that. My ego and all kinds of stuff gets in the way. And I want to be forgiven for all the things I've done. But am I prepared to give it out 100% of the time to everybody else, especially when they don't ask for it? And the reason why forgiveness is so important, because the opposite of forgiveness is a resentment. And a resentment. A resentment can hold you back in life so incredibly completely that, that you can't, you're, you're stuck, you're paralyzed in this resentment because you bottle up all this, this hate inside you. And, and hate, Doug, corrodes the containers contained in, right? It, it, you bottle up that hate inside you, that resentment for another person, another place, a thing, an institution. One of two things is probably going on. That person, place, that institution, that thing that you resent, that you hate, has no idea about it, so they don't care. And, and the other thing that happens is when they do find out about it, if they ever find out about it, they usually don't care still. They don't give a damn. And you're the only one that, ha- that, that cares about that hate of their resentment, and it stays inside you and eats you up from the inside out. I've got to let that go each night, Doug. I can lay in my, my bed or I can lay in my bunk when I was in prison and let go of that resentment right then and there. How, do you, how, how does one do that? I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. So like, what are some tips you have on forgiving others and letting resentments go? Well, I mean, the, the biggest tip that I have is that, you know, first of all, I, I tell myself, Damon, who are you to judge? You know, you're a drunk, you're a drug addict, you're an alcoholic, you're a thief, you're a convicted felon. You know, who the hell am I to judge somebody else? And so usually when I'm resenting somebody, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in judgment of something they've done. Right. And, and look, people are going to wrong you in life, but you're going to wrong other people, too. That's the key to getting through a resentment is knowing that, hey, I want to be forgiven for the things I've done. So I have to, I have to give that up for other people too. Because how can I expect someone else to, to forgive me? How can I expect that of others if I'm not willing to do the same? And that's the accountability part of a program recovery. You know, we, accountability, we talk about in, in a 12-step, we talk about steps eight and step nine. You know, where you make a list of people you'd harmed and step nine, you became willing to make the amends. But when you go back even further to step four, when you write these resentments and these fears down, you've got to unload all that stuff, Doug. And so doing it, man, do it. I have an advantage. I think this is crazy to think that I say I have an advantage is I'm a recovering addict. But being that I'm a recovering addict, I've gone through the 12 steps already. I know the prescription. I know that step 10 tells me to work four through nine again every single day. And at the end of the day, you know, you're going back with the, the prayer and meditation. Then you're going out step 12 and you're looking for other people to help. You're doing service work. You're looking for other people to help bring into the program recovery. Man, this is what fuels me, Doug. And I don't, you know, 
for someone that's never been through the 12 steps, and by the way, Doug, I think the 12 steps could be used for just about anybody on the planet. They should probably be taught in the first grade. I agree, man, 100%. And I think, you know, the one thing you're really hitting on a lot, and this is like a motivational talk, I'm, I'm loving it, right, is that you're giving people the recipe for success on how to get through adversity. And not like, it's not like you have been somebody who hasn't been through it. You have literally done this. This is your recipe for success for how you have gone from being um, that person rotting away in a jail cell, not knowing what he was going to be. And I know your mom said, Damon, you come, you better come out of this place um, the way we raised you or don't come back at all. Right. That's yeah. her to, to be paid. Right. And yeah. you're looking at yourself now. So I want the, the listeners going to get so much out of this. So one of the last things I want to ask you is this, is that, you know, say you got, say you have a buddy, say it's me, say whoever, and I'm going through a bunch of stuff. I'm, I'm on that. I'm the person who is, you know, ashamed of who I've become. I'm really going through a lot of fear with this pandemic. Maybe I'm battling addiction, whatever it is. If you had just a few moments to kind of lift me up, what kind of things would you say? First of all, I'd tell you, <clears throat> that your pain is real. Your pain's valid. You know, you got to validate people's pain because all pain is relative, Doug. And, it, and if, if, if someone tells you it's the worst pain in the world, then it is the worst pain in the world. You can't tell someone the degrees of pain and whether or not it's the worst pain in the world. So you validate someone's pain, man. You got to find, you got to get where the pain is validated and try to move past it. So what I would tell somebody is, it's almost like the personal inventory part of a program recovery is we need to find out what your fears are. We need to find out what's holding you back, what your resentments are, what your fears. And, and I'll use an example from my life of how I had to work this program recovery and get through that. I had to understand what the basic instincts are that, that control human behavior. And when I got into program recovery and I started working the steps, I found out that there are three basic instincts that control all of human behavior. It's the need for social, you know, to be accepted by society, the need for security, to have, you know, economic security, have financial security, have a job, and the need for sex, the need for relationships and sexual needs. And all of these instincts, when used the right way, when used properly, they're good things, but it's when we abuse them that they're not. So what I had to do in the program of recovery is find out where the problem where I've got to get this baggage out of my life. And this is, so I'm talking to somebody else. And I said, look, we've got to find out where the baggage is in your life. We've got to find a way for you to clean up your side of the street. And in recovery, we're always using that term. I'm going to keep my side of the street clean because all I have to do is worry about my side of the street. I don't care. I, I can't control what the other guy does across the street. The other man or woman does with their yard, their, 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 their street, their side of the street, but I control mine. And so to get my side of the street clean, I've got to clean that baggage out of my life. I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'm sitting there with my sponsor getting out of prison, writing down all my fears in my life. And these fears, Doug, fears, man, I can't talk enough about fears because fears hold us back. And most of the time, Doug, fears aren't even real. They're, they're imagined. They're in our head. They're like that boogeyman when you were a kid. You thought you were, there was a monster under your bed or in your closet, and you never found that monster because it wasn't real. But when you were a kid, it was real. And we do the same thing as adults. We make these fears giants in our mind. And sometimes we start making decisions based on our fears. Now we've gone to an alternate reality. We're making decisions on things that never even happened. And so what do we do? We, we got, we've got to get back to reality. So what we do is we put these fears down on paper. And so I'll put a fear down for you. My fear of getting out of prison was 
what was life going to be like for Damon getting out of prison? You know, I'm an ex-con. I'm on parole until 2073. Man, I've got a lot of fears when I walk out that prison gate. So my sponsor said, all right, let's put down the fear first. So I put down the fear, getting out of prison. And the next thing we want to do, let's say that's the first column. The next column was what instinct, what are those three basic instincts does this fear affect? Well, let's, let's take it. Does it affect my, my social instinct, my, 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 my fear of, being, uh, of getting back into society again? Is society going to accept me? You know, what will they think about me? Of course it does. So there's the social instinct. Does it affect my uh, security instinct? Yeah, you bet it does. Will I be able to get a job, man? Will I be able to find work? Will, will anybody employ me as an ex-con? You know, you hear all these stories about ex-cons having a hard time finding work, and they're true, man. It's hard to find a job as an ex-con because you got this giant X in your back. So I got this huge fear for security. Does it affect my sex instinct? Man, you bet it does. Will someone ever love me? Will someone ever take me in with all my faults and, and warts and all? Will someone ever be able to love me? Hell, I have a hard time loving myself at this point when I'm getting out of prison. Will somebody else love me? So it affects all three of those basic instincts. That's column number two. I've checked off every one of these instincts, all three of them. Now, column number three was the most important one for me to figure out. And the column number three is called, what role do I play? Mm. I have to find out in all my problems, all my fears, all my resentments, what role did Damon play in that? Because Damon plays a role in any of Damon's problems. There is an axiom in the big book AA, man, that I go to all the time. It says, when I am disturbed, there is something wrong with me. I play a role in all my problems, though. Anytime I have a problem, I play a role in it. And that's what I'm constantly seeking out and trying to find to do. And that's what I encourage others to do. Find the role you play. Find out where you have a role to play. And you're at fault for some of the things that have happened in your life. And remove that from your life. So what role did I play in all that? To complete this exercise, what role did I play? I became a meth addict. I went out and broke into people's houses. I committed crimes against people. You know, I, I committed so many crimes that I went in front of a jury for six days of a trial. And at the end of six days, a jury came back in 10 minutes with my punishment, man. I did things so bad that a jury was able to take my life from me. I did that, Doug. I did all these things to myself. One of my resentments was, was uh, you know, the, the pain, hurt, and suffering, and loss that my family had gone through. And I did this to them. Doug, I went through the 12 steps and I thought to myself, man, if somebody else would have ever hurt my family, you know, the way I did in my addiction, I'd kill them. With my bare hands, I would kill them. But I did this to them. and I'm not going to kill myself over it. So I've got to find out how to forgive myself. And what I found out in the end, Doug, one of the most important things I learned in the program recovery is that my biggest resentment ended up being against me. It wasn't against prison. It wasn't against a person. It wasn't against the judge. It wasn't against the jury. It wasn't against all these other things that people have resentments about. It was Damon West. I resented Damon West so much to a point that it became toxic, Doug. And I had to let go of that resentment and start loving myself again. And that's one of the things they tell you in the, in the rooms of recovery, man. We'll love you till you can love yourself. And I'm at a place today where I can love myself. So what I would tell someone going through going through this right now is, you know, let's get you to a place where you can love yourself because you're worth loving. Everybody is worth loving and everybody has so much potential. And I mean, just like the, the analogy with Mr. Rogers, you know, not, every, not one person can reach everybody, but everybody can reach one person. And when you become that person that's turned it around for other people to see, you give people hope. And hope is one of the best things you can give to another person. Mm. 
I think that's a good place to stop, man. I mean, I think you just provided the audience so much tangible and tactical advice on how to really turn a negative into a positive, how to go from like despair to opportunity um, and really use, you know, quote unquote, adversity to their advantage. No pun intended. So Damon, man, I mean, thank you so much for, for what you have to offer, what you bring to the table. Where can people find out more about you if they want to, you know, learn more about your story, maybe contact you to speak when this is all said and done or your books or where can they find you? Yeah, you can reach me. Uh, my, my website is damonwest.org, D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T.org. My email is damon at damonwest.org. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram handles are at damonwest7, that you can find me there. And my book, The Change Agent and the Coffee Bean, can be found anywhere books are sold. Uh, you know, The Coffee Bean is blowing me away, Doug, with how many books it's. I mean, it's, it's almost up to 100,000 copies in the first nine months. Uh, so, but the change agent, my life, Doug, is, uh, you know, Lionsgate is working on making it into a movie, a, a Netflix limited series, six to eight episode kind of thing. And I mean, I wish I could share with your list. I wish I could tell you who we're talking to right now to play the leading role, man. He's a huge name, but I can't share it, bro. All right. Well, when we get off, you can tell me. I can't. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I can't. I wish I could, Doug. I know, oh, man. Cool. Well, hey, man. Thank you so much for hopping on. You're a breath of fresh air and positivity and a true coffee bean. Um, you know, guys, guys and gals, like whoever's listening to this, please go check out Damon. Check out his story. Follow him. The amount of encouragement, inspiration he provides on a daily basis is something um, that we all need right now. So, you're going to want to re-listen to this episode multiple times. And once again, if you have feedback, you know, and you, and you really enjoyed it, please don't hesitate to give a five-star review. Reach out to myself. Reach out to Damon um, because we'd love to hear from you. And um, once again, um, you're listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time.